2: Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 473rd episode of the History Ghost Bump Podcast. Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're going to be going to an Air Force base, Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Lots of hauntings going on here, and there's some UFO history as well. Before we jump into the show, just want to send our thoughts and prayers over to our basically family over there on Hillbilly Horror Stories. For those of you that don't know, over this past week, Jerry polly has been having some heart issues and was in the hospital, and he even decided to try to join the afterlife for a little bit and coded and had to be brought back with some CPR, but he is recovering. And so we just start putting all of our good thoughts and prayers over in that direction, and would love to have you guys join us in doing that. Absolutely. We also want to welcome into the spectacular crew, Julie, Haley with an IE, Mindy, Jake, and
0: Steve. Thank you so much for joining our Facebook group. And now, this moment in Oddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Jared Rang. In the 1960s, there was a fragrance being sold in India known as petrichor. The name is derived from the Greek word petros, which means stone, and ikor, which is said to be fluid that flows in the veins of gods. This is described to appeal to people on the most primal level. Although it sounds like it's pheromones, it's quite a bit more interesting than that. This scent is labeled as geosmin. Humans are more sensitive to the scent of geosmin than sharks are to the smell of blood. A shark can smell one particle of blood per billion parts of water, whereas humans can smell geosmin at five parts per trillion. This distinctive smell is a blend of scents that occur after a time of drought. There is speculation that plants in arid environments produce an oil that inhibits seed germination during times where water is scarce. These airborne oils combine with other compounds to produce the smell. As a pluviophile, or one who loves rain, I was shocked to discover that the smell of rain or the smell of geosmin, was more easily detected by the human olfactory sensors versus sharks and their ability to smell blood and water. Regardless of the science behind it, humans being able to detect anything at the ratio of five parts per trillion certainly is odd.
1: This history podcast is haunted.
0: And now this month in history.
2: month of February on the 6th in 1788, Massachusetts became the sixth state to ratify the new U.S. Constitution by a vote of 187 to 168. Shortly before this, the Massachusetts Convention met in the old State House to discuss the matter. At this point, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Georgia, and Connecticut had already ratified the Constitution. Massachusetts had the largest convention of any of the states and of the 364 delegates. They were nearly evenly divided. Federalists supported the Constitution as written. However, the Anti-Federalists believed that a centralized government, as proposed, would give too much power to the elite and end up dissolving the democratic ideals adopted during the Revolution. What ultimately changed during the debate in Boston came when Governor John Hancock proposed that Massachusetts recommend several amendments to the Constitution, including a Bill of Rights. The proposal appealed to many of the Anti-Federalists, giving them the ability to voice their concerns. After Revolutionary Leader Samuel Adams spoke in favor of Hancock's conciliatory proposition, a sufficient number of delegates changed their positions to approve ratification.
0: wright Patterson Air Force Base is the oldest flying field in the world and is located near Dayton, Ohio and it's a site where the Wright brothers developed the first practical airplane. This still-active base has hundreds of buildings on the property, and a few of them are reputed to be haunted, particularly the United States Air Force Museum. There are also urban legends about UFO, reverse engineering, and hidden alien bodies on the base. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base.
2: The Wright part of the name in Wright-Patterson is for the Wright brothers. The brothers bought Huffman Prairie Field to use as their official test field. In 1904 and 1905, the Wright brothers used Huffman Prairie to develop the Flyer 2 and Flyer 3, making this the site of the world's first successful, heavier-than-air development field. The Flyer 3 was considered the first practical airplane. The Wrights went on to establish a flying school at the field that ran from 1910 to 1916, And they graduated some exemplary individuals, like 1st Lieutenant Henry Hap Arnold, who became the only five-star general in the Air Force. I didn't know that they didn't normally have five-star generals in the Air Force. And commanded the U.S. Army Air Forces in World War II. The Hap nickname was short for Happy. There was also aviation pioneer Calbraith Perry Rogers, who made the first transcontinental airplane flight of the U.S. and was the first owner of a private airplane other than the Wrights. He died during an exhibition at the age of 33. The first rated military pilot was First Lieutenant Thomas D. Milling, and he was trained at the school. There was also Walter Brookings, who was the first exhibition pilot and first pilot to reach a one-mile altitude. Can you imagine reaching just a one-mile altitude, and now you're like 30,000 feet in the air? Philip Oren Parmalee was the first practical military flyer and dropped the first test bomb, and became the first commercial pilot by delivering a bolt of silk. He, too, died during an exhibition at the age of
0: 25. The Wright brothers would sell their flying field to the United States government in 1917. This included Huffman Field, Wright Field, and a nearby field called McCook Field. It's not surprising that the government would look to this spot in Ohio because it was the heart of the aviation community with a huge concentration of expertise in flight engineering and experience. In 1918, the U.S. Army Air Service was established by President Woodrow Wilson, and this was backed by Congress. The Army was looking to use aircraft strictly for spotting, carrying messages, and photo reconnaissance. There was no plan to use the air for battle. Can
2: you imagine a time that they were having airplanes in the air and they're like, no, we're not going to have any dogfights or anything like that?
0: Yeah, it is surprising. That obviously changed, and soon machine guns were mounted on canvas biplanes. I just, when you think about these early planes and you're up there in the air
2: over a mile in the sky and you've got canvas over
0: some metal and some of them even had wood. (laughs) That's a little terrifying. Then bomb drops were incorporated into air to ground attacks. Strangely, even though the Wright brothers got flight really going, America fell way behind their European counterparts. After World War I, 347 German planes were brought over
2: to Ohio and some became part of the National Museum of the United States Air Force, which opened in 1923. This museum is celebrating 100 years this year in 2023. Pretty cool, huh, Kelly? Very cool. It started simply as a small engineering study collection, but would eventually become the world's largest military aviation museum. Visitors are transported to another era when they enter the museum. There is the Early Years Gallery, which covers those first accomplishments by the Wright brothers and their fellow pioneers, and goes through the military planes up to World War II. Many planes from the 20s and 30s are featured. There is the Air Power Gallery, with World War II planes and exhibits featuring the story of the Flying Tigers, the story of the Philippine Death March, life in a POW camp, and other artifacts. The Modern Fight Gallery features the Korean War and Vietnam War, And the Cold War Gallery covers our most modern advancements in flight, particularly military bombers, fighters, reconnaissance planes, and the world's only permanent public display of a B-2 stealth bomber, which I'm sure many people thought was a UFO the first time they ever saw him in the air.
0: Probably. I know Jared would love to go visit here.
2: Oh, just to see that stealth bomber would be totally up my alley, too. Finally, there's the Space Gallery with Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo spacecraft and a space shuttle exhibit.
0: Now back to the history of the base. The training school the Wrights started was closed and President Calvin Coolidge was presented with the deeds to begin construction on a new aviation engineering center in 1924. The Fairfield Aviation General Supply Depot was established at Wright Field, which actually only received that official name in honor of the Wright brothers in 1927. Yeah, so when they sold the field initially, they didn't even call it Wright Field. The depot and field were merged as one at this time. There was a part of Wright Field that was east of Huffman Dam, and this was redesignated Patterson Field in honor of Lieutenant Frank Stewart Patterson, who was killed during a test flight in the field in 1918. Building kicked into high gear during World War II, and the 30 buildings that made up Wright Field grew to 300 buildings and covered 2,064 acres. These buildings would provide recreation centers, test facilities, aircraft housing, personnel housing, and administration buildings. The population at the base would grow to 50,000. A hilltop area was acquired in 1943 in order to provide troop housing and services. In 1947, the National Security Act was passed,
2: and this created the Department of the Air Force, officially separating the Army and the Air Force from each other. On September 18, 1947, W. Stewart Symington became Secretary of the Air Force, and on September 26, General Carl A. Spatz became the USAF's first Chief of Staff. This made Wright Air Force Base the heart of development for the United States Air Force. And with the Cold War getting started, air defense was even more important. Also, at this same time, the base was getting involved in secret operations dealing with extraterrestrial activity.
0: E.T. phone home. (laughs) Yeah, these would have
2: been the guys that would have gone out there with the flashlights looking for them. Project Blue Book got its start here. We'll talk more about this in a moment. In 1948, Wright Air Force Base was officially renamed Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Operations continue today at the base, and it is the center of Air Force engineering, graduate education, and USAF
0: administration and deployment. Ohio is known for its indigenous mounds, and the area near Wright-Patterson is no different. The Adena culture left behind prehistoric Indian mounds here. The Wright-Patterson Air Force Base Mound has been designated as 33GR31 and sits right on the base. It's an archaeological site that is 8 feet tall and 86 feet in diameter. Pieces of limestone nearby have led researchers to believe that the Adena culture covered the mound with limestone. I find that very interesting. I wonder why they did that. The mounds haven't been excavated, but it is believed that when they are, they will reveal the death customs of the culture.
2: That's what I found when I was researching, but as we know from looking at a lot of these different mounds, they weren't necessarily burial mounds. They were ceremonial, and they usually would put temples and things up on the top. So I don't know that that's necessarily the case here.
0: Well, I wonder if they maybe use ground-penetrating radar? Maybe,
2: and could see that there were bones Bones. in there, which would be a good indication as to why they haven't excavated, because you don't want to disturb them. To add to the mystical energy of the area, this base is no stranger to UFOs and other strange flying phenomenon. As we mentioned, Project Blue Book was headquartered here. This study into UFO activity began with Project Sign, which became Project Grudge in 1949, and finally Project Blue Book in March of 1952. The records from this project have been declassified and are available to see at the National Archives. They describe the collection in this way. The records include approximately two cubic feet of unarranged project or administrative files, 37 cubic feet of case files in which individual sightings are arranged chronologically, and three cubic feet of records relating to the Office of Special Investigations, or the OSI, portions of which are arranged chronologically by OSI District and by Overseas Command. A cubic foot of records comprises about 2,000 pages. So if you look at, like, you have 37 cubic feet anybody of up for files.
0: Some, anybody up for some good reading? Yeah, that's a <laughs> lot of pages of individual sightings. The following is a copy of the U.S. Air Force fact sheet distributed by Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in January of 1985. On December 17th, 1969,
2: the Secretary of the Air Force announced the termination of Project Blue Book, the Air Force program for the investigation of UFOs. From 1947 to 1969, a total of 12,618 sightings were reported to Project Blue Book. 12,618. And that's in basically a 20-year period.
0: We're not alone. Of
2: the <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Of those, 701 remain unidentified. I find it hard to believe that they did identify nearly 12,000 of them. But that's still very interesting that 701 of them, they're like, we don't know what the hell that was. The project was headquartered at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, whose personnel no longer receive, document, or investigate UFO reports. Just drives me crazy after 1969. How much stuff have we had happened since then? The decision to discontinue UFO investigations was based on an evaluation of a report prepared by the University of Colorado entitled Scientific Study of Unidentified Flying Objects, a review of the University of Colorado's report by the National Academy of Sciences, past UFO studies and Air Force experience investigating UFO reports during the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And I had no idea that this took place at the University of Colorado. I went to the rival school, Colorado State University. So I'd always look over at CU and be like, meh.
0: As a result of these investigations and studies and experience gained from investigating UFO reports since 1948, the conclusions of Project Blue Book are, one, no UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force has ever given any indication of threat to our national security.
2: Only because they didn't bring out their death rays and hit
0: anybody. <laughs> pew, pew. Hey, I've heard <laughs> War of the Worlds. Come on. Two, there's been no evidence submitted to or discovered by the Air Force that sightings categorized as unidentified represent technological developments or principles beyond the range of present-day scientific knowledge... Uh, Yeah, right. That's why they
2: darted across the sky and did erratic things. Come on.
0: That's what I would, We both said at the same time. Yeah, right. <laughs> and three, there has been no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as unidentified are extraterrestrial vehicles. With the termination of Project Blue Book, the Air Force regulations establishing and controlling the program for investigating and analyzing UFOs were rescinded. Documentation regarding the former Blue Book investigation has been permanently transferred to the Military Reference Branch, National Archives and Records Administration, Washington, D.C., 20408, and is available for public review and analysis.
2: Since Project Blue Book was closed, nothing has happened to indicate that the Air Force ought to resume investigating UFOs. Really? shucker! After 1969, not a thing has happened to make us look at anything else as UFOs. I mean, this was written in 1985, but okay. Because of the considerable cost to the Air Force in the past and the tight funding of Air Force needs today, there is no likelihood the Air Force will become involved with UFO investigation again. There are a number of universities and professional scientific organizations, such as the American Association for the Advancement of Science, which have considered UFO phenomenon during periodic meetings and seminars. In addition, a list of private organizations interested in aerial phenomenon may be found in Gale's Encyclopedia of Associations, Such timely review of the situation by private groups ensures that sound evidence will not be overlooked by the scientific community. Mm -hmm. A person calling the base to report a UFO is advised to contact a private or professional organization as mentioned above or to contact a local law enforcement agency if the caller feels his or her public safety is endangered. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors.
0: Periodically, it is erroneously stated that the remains of extraterrestrial visitors are or have been stored at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. There are not now nor ever have been any extraterrestrial visitors or equipment on Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So that is the end of that document.
2: I love that they end it with that. There are not now or ever have been any of these
0: rumors. Period. However, a retired Air Force engineer who worked at the base for 39 years named Raymond Zemanski says aliens from the infamous crash in Roswell were brought to the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, for inspection. He also claimed that a mentor told him about a system of tunnels that house living and deceased extraterrestrial beings at the base. Rumor claims that Hangar 18 is where all of this material ended up. Another man named Oliver Henderson told his wife that he flew a plane loaded with UFO debris and several small alien bodies from Roswell to Wright Field. And the children of World War II ace Marion Black Mac said their father told them stories of seeing a live alien at the base in 1947, and that it was a shameful thing that the military destroyed this creature by conducting tests on it.
2: Now, I don't know, maybe this man, when he got older, was getting a little senile, but it's kind of a weird thing to make up that not only did you see a live alien, but you must have witnessed some tests that were done to it that ended up taking its life. Thou doth protesteth too much. I don't know if any of these people are telling the truth, but there are definitely tunnels at the base because the students there use the tunnels to go to and fro when it's cold out. So there's definitely tunnels. I don't know if there's rooms going off of them that have other little secret rooms where they have alien bodies and such. And now that the Pentagon is admitting that UFOs are a real thing, this letter from 1985 and findings from the project just scream cover "Cover up. In a 1988 interview, Senator Barry Goldwater claimed he had asked General Curtis LeMay for access to a secret UFO room at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And an angry LeMay said, not only can't you get into it, but don't you ever mention it to me again. Got some hackles up there. A little bit. Why are you so angry about it if there's nothing going on? So clearly the base has connections to UFOs, but what about other unexplained phenomenon, specifically ghosts? There are apparently several buildings that reputedly have hauntings going on inside them. Disembodied footsteps, weird sounds, flickering lights and apparitions have been reported in many buildings. Kelly,
0: why don't we start with Building 70? Building 70 is a large World War II-era warehouse that currently houses the tax center. There are claims that an old woman haunts the building, and the sounds of crates being dragged is heard. Rachel Castle worked as a public affairs specialist in Building 70, and in 2008, she told Stars and Stripes about a harrowing experience she had. A woman was standing behind her office door on a cold December night. She said of the woman, She reminded me of the way my grandmother would look when she used to go to work. She wasn't fat, not thin, just average weight, She had on a white shirt with a ruffle or bow hanging down the neck and a blue polyester vest or dress. Nothing strange about that, except that Castle had just locked up for the night and no one else had been in the building. She continued, she was three-dimensional, but the best way I can describe it was she looked like a mannequin. Almost waxy. It was just so weird. It scared me. I've never seen anyone like that. Castle was in her car getting ready to leave when she saw the woman, and she stared at her for several minutes before driving off. One woman, whom she called Val, had told her she had heard someone call out her full first name, which no one calls her. There was no one near her, and then the printer started and printed out something from a computer in another office that wasn't physically networked into the machine. That's unusual. Just slightly. Then Val walked past the television she had turned off earlier, and it suddenly blinked on. Something was really trying
2: to bother her, and I mean, it knew her name was Valerie. (laughs) These experiences and some of the other ones got the base to call ghost hunters, of all things, back in 2008 to come out and investigate, and as far as I know, they're the only major paranormal investigators that have been out here. On the second night of their investigation, the ghost hunters investigated Building 70. Jason and Grant started an EVP session and during that Jason saw a black shadow obscuring a light and then Grant saw it from a different angle. They also heard disembodied footsteps and some tapping. Jason asked for two taps if the spirit wanted them to leave and there were two taps. So Jason honored that and he and Grant left the warehouse. Now on to
0: building 219. And this is a former World War II-era hospital with a basement morgue and a former pediatric clinic that now houses offices and reputedly has a little boy haunting it. People who have seen him claim that he is blonde and around 10 years old. This is considered the most active building on the property, but the museum probably gives it a good run for its money. Castle had heard from 14 other Air Force and civilian workers who had experienced unexplained activity in the building. A member of the base's Judge Advocate Corps told her that during a meeting of five JAG officers in a basement room, the sounds of a loud and disruptive child were heard. There was laughing, running, and playing. This official, of course, thought that there was a real child running around, so he angrily asked one of the JAG officers to go settle the child. The officer looked everywhere for the kid and couldn't find him. He asked a few people if they had seen a child, and nobody had. They hadn't even heard a child.
2: Now that's interesting because you've got a whole room full of JAG officers who are not going to be wont to hearing things, and they're all hearing this kid running around. So it was multiple people experiencing. I love when experiences have multiple witnesses because then it's really hard to put them aside. A janitor had a terrifying experience up on the third floor one night. He was going about his cleaning regiment and had opened all the doors to make access easier for himself. He was emptying trash cans when he heard all the doors slam shut at the same time, which is completely physically impossible. All the windows were closed, so this wasn't some breeze that had blown through and caused the doors to close. And even if there had been a breeze that was blowing through, you'd have to have had the windows in each office open and the wind blowing at just the right angle at the right time for all the doors to close at the same time. Just This is never going to happen. The janitor ran out of the building and they had a hard time finding any cleaning staff that would work in the building at night. This incident could have been caused by other spirits in the building. Some people claim to have seen the shadow figures of older people and sometimes even a mist. One of these spirits has been named Henry after a doctor who's rumored to have committed suicide in the building. I couldn't find any fact behind that for sure. So apparently building 219 has a little boy that likes to run around and maybe some other spirits as well.
0: Next, we have the Arnold House, which is the oldest structure on the property and had been a family farm in 1840. This had been owned by Hap Arnold and is today a museum. The faint sound of children laughing is heard here and disembodied footsteps are heard going up and down the stairs. People claim that there are up to five spirits in this house. One of those spirits is thought to be Hap himself. The ghost hunters team investigated the Arnold house on the first night of their investigation and they got spikes on the EMF meters and they heard strange sounds coming from the bathroom. I mean, they might have had tacos for dinner. but <laughs> I was going to make a joke along the same lines. <laughs> I would have said burritos, however.
2: Uh, yeah, I guess. It just depends. Or Whatever. baked beans. <laughs> Musical fruit. <laughs> We're such 13 year old boys. I know. <laughs> Certainly don't want those phantom scents coming along. Oh, Lordy. It's a demon. (laughs) No, it's just the burrito I had for dinner.
0: Oh. This is actually something that has been reported by several people. Jason asked the spirit to communicate by knocking, and he received answers to his questions in this way. It was revealed that there were five ghosts in the house. In another room, Jason did the flashlight experiment, and the flashlight did turn on. Kristen and Chris Williams did an EVP session in the dining room, and they caught a little girl's laugh.
2: And then there's the United States Air Force Museum. This really seems to be the most haunted building on the property, and for good reason, because it has so many artifacts and aircraft that saw war and death. One of these was the Hopalong, which was a medevac helicopter, Sikorsky UH UH-19B, that evacuated troops during the Korean and Vietnam Wars. A pilot was killed at the controls, and his blood, Kelly, still stains the seat. Wow. Museum staff claim that they see the pilot in the seat, flipping switches and trying to get the helicopter airborne. Wouldn't that be cool if it all of a sudden did go airborne? Not with a roof on the top of the museum. (laughs) Another plane here is a B-24 Liberator known as the Strawberry... uh, Biatch? Yeah, let's say it that way. (laughs) (laughs) nickname for the girl painted on the side that reputedly didn't have a stitch of clothing on when it served in action oh my they of course have painted on some daisy dukes and a little shirt for her now it served with the 512th bomb squadron 376th bomb group of the 15th air force based in libya and italy no one is sure who haunts this plane it could be several men and staff have seen apparitions in the plane as though still carrying out their duties One janitor even claims that a spirit decked him one night. Wow. I mean, what did you say (laughs) to him? (laughs) Anything that has like a physicality like that always amazes me. I'm like, did he actually see the spirit and then it punched him? Or did he just get punched while he's walking through the hallway or something?
0: I want to know if it was a left hook or right hook.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The belly guns rattle on their own and strange lights are seen moving around the plane.
0: Parts from another B-24 Liberator are on display here known as Lady Be Good. It was stationed at Salik Airstrip on the coast of Libya. During its first bombing mission, in which it was to drop bombs on Naples, Italy, the bomber was forced to turn back due to limited visibility, and some sand also got sucked up into the engine. The navigator was fairly new and not well-trained, and the plane became hopelessly lost and crashed in the Libyan desert on April 4, 1943. The crew initially survived by parachuting out, but died in the desert. That just sucks. I know.
2: You get out of the crash and survive it, and then you just die in the elements.
0: The wreckage wasn't found until 1959, and eight of the nine crew members' bodies were recovered. Staff Sergeant V.L. Moore was never found. The parts move around inside their display case on their own. The spirits of the nine crew members are said to wander around the museum at night.
2: There's a B-29 bomber known as Boxcar, nicknamed for its original pilot named Frederick Bach. This is the plane that dropped the atomic bomb on Nagasaki, Japan. Boxcar became the first and only aircraft to effectively end a world war. The spirit of a Japanese boy is said to haunt this plane. I don't know how this attachment happened. Guards claim to have seen his ghost standing by the bomber. Another haunted helicopter here is the Black Mariah, which is a Sikorsky CH-3E helicopter transport that was used for classified missions. The helicopter is full of bullet holes and people claim you can hear the moans and voices of the troops
0: it carried. wright Pat, as Air Force members like to call it, has a unique history connected to the origins of not only American aviation, but international aviation. The museum is home to many planes and artifacts that clearly would have emotional energy attached to them. It would seem that the living service members that are on this base share their space with a few spirits. Is Wright-Patterson Air Force Base haunted? That, that is, is for, for you, you to, to decide. decide. Sounds like a cool
2: museum. I don't think I've been to an Air Force museum before that's just completely Air Force.
0: I've been to March Air Force Base Museum. Okay. Okay. In California, years and years and years ago. But yeah, that's the only one I've been to.
2: Yeah, I've been to a lot of military museums that have a lot of planes in them and stuff, but nothing that's completely dedicated right to them. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com or at any of our various social media. We're on everything. Just look up history bump. We did get a message over on Instagram from Dalton. We did an episode on the Old Slave House back in 2018, and Kelly, over on YouTube, I think that is our most commented on video. People are just fascinated by this home, and that's what Dalton was talking to us about. I know it's an episode from forever ago. Old Slave House from 2018 used to live right by there. He owned an old salt well not too far south of there. The wood is still there, and the grounds are very creepy and eerie at night. I know people that have lived by there their whole life. They won't go down that road at night. It's an old country road. Next time I go down there, I'll send you pictures of the old salt well. So I said, yes, please do. And he said, it's usually flooded this time of year. But if you guys like hiking and things, it's a great area to see. The only bad thing is you can't get to the house anymore. So I guess that you can't tour it anymore or anything like that, which is a bummer because it's got a history that people should definitely know more about.
0: Right. Thanks so much for sharing that Dalton. And yeah, we're looking forward to seeing some pictures when you get the opportunity.
2: We got a message from Brandy over on Patreon. She just was, you know, saying I started sponsoring you guys last month. And she was just letting us know that she had started listening about a year ago and still has a lot of episodes she needs to catch up on. And she just appreciates how we honor the history of places. Says, of course, I'm here for the ghost stories. But like how you acknowledge information that may just be lore and not fact. We drive with her craft with her and wash dishes with her. We do a lot of work. (laughs) she says any task is more enjoyable when she has us along with her well we love to be taken along for any of the things that you guys are doing so thanks for sharing that Brandy yeah thank you so much and then Sarah sent us an email after she listened to our most recent episode about flight 401 and it made her wonder if we'd ever looked into flight three which was the flight that Carol Lombard was on when she died she said I'm unaware of any hauntings connected to it but it certainly is an odd story with lots of connections to the number three including the fact that Carol was 33 years and three months old when she died. There's a book called Fireball, Carol Lombard and the Mystery of Flight 3 by Robert Matson. She says it tells a great job of telling the story. So, of course, Kelly, I had to look up something. So I went over to Time Magazine and looked up an article that they had done. And so basically what had happened here is on January 16th, 1942, Carol Lombard dies in this plane crash. She had just completed a major fundraising effort, raising over $2 million on her war bond tour. Oh, wow. And for people who don't know, those were created by the U.S. Treasury Department that let Americans invest in the war effort, especially if you couldn't contribute in some other way, it made you felt like you were really supporting the troops. And these could be used to support the war in the short term, and then they could be cashed in for their full value a decade later. So it was kind of an investment that you were making for yourself, too. She had traveled to her home state of Indiana with her mother Elizabeth Peters and the press agent Otto Winkler who worked with her husband for people who don't know that was Clark Gable and there had been this three-day event to encourage citizens to buy those bonds. So she was supposed to return back to California that day and unfortunately she's on this flight three it crashed into the side of the treacherous Mount Potosi in Nevada. I hope that's how you say it. She should not have been on this plane in the first place. She'd been advised to take a train home because the weather was not good. There were also these wartime fears, but she insisted on flying instead. She told Life's photographer Myron Davis that though she'd been strongly urged to return to Hollywood by rail, she found herself unable to face three days on the quote-unquote choo-choo train. Oh, my word. (laughs) Should have taken the train. So sad. The crash was surrounded by mystery at the time. Why did an experienced pilot crash into the mountain, observers wondered. Was it just an accident or given that the U.S. had been attacked at Pearl Harbor just a month earlier, was it something even darker? Had Lombard, the war effort activist, been sabotaged by German spies? Oh. Another mystery was why Lombard really decided she had to fly. One theory indicates that her hurry to get home was due to a possible affair between her husband and Lana Turner. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. According to author Robert Matson, at the end of January 15, 1942, She decided she had done her duty and now it was time to take care of Carol Lombard by getting home to her carousing husband by the fastest means possible. That meant air travel, something expressly forbidden because of the fear of accidents in wintry weather or sabotage by Hitler's spies, to which her response was predictably kiss my. Mm." Well, then. So, I don't know. Very interesting. Yeah. How does a pilot just fly into a mountain? I don't know if there was wintry weather, foggy weather, and he didn't see it. Right. Perhaps. This, of course, is back in the 40s. So, you know, I don't know what kind of navigation instruments they had in their planes to help with that kind of thing. But just a really sad way for her to go. We want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Carrie Morrison for increasing your support. We're going to be having more move you into a
0: garden crypt. And in three months, you'll have your HGB mug on its way. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. We really could not produce this show without you guys.
1: Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at (laughs) gmail.com.
0: regardless of the science behind it, humans being able to deduct... In the month of February on the 6th in 1788,
2: Massachusetts became the sixth state to ratify the new you... The new
0: you. New, 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 new you. New you, you, you. It's a new you in the new year. Oh, my word. <laughs> Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is based... Based. It's based in. I'm gonna baste it. <laughs> get out my turkey baster. <laughs> Great. Are we going to be eating planes? Crunchy little munchies. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I might get some metal in my teeth. Kelly, you're not supposed to eat heavy metals. As a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to detox my heavy metals.
0: <laughs> well, you know, go big or go home. <laughs> <laughs> Start it off right. There are. Golly marbles in my mouth and three there has been no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as unidentified are extra extraterrestrial. they were very extra they're so extra are extra extracurricular vehicles <laughs> i don't even know man told his wife that he flew a plane loaded with UFO debris and several small alien bodies from Roswell. Roswell. Roswell? Well, well, well. I do declare. (laughs)